The Overwhelmed Brain is a proud provider of self-empowerment for your personal evolution. Are you annoyed by affirmations when you stood in line for a half an hour only to be told that this is the wrong line, but think positively as you get in that even longer line over there? Do you develop a permanent twitch in your face that just won't quit? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then get ready to start creating the life you've always wanted now. This is Paul Coliani, host of The Overwhelmed Brain, the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical, down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. If you're here to learn more common sense tips for improving your life, you're in the wrong place. This is the direct path to uncommon sense, and that's why it's going to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. Before I get to today's quote, I want to mention a couple places I found online that mention this show. I want to thank Keith over at the Super Smart Guy podcast for mentioning that one of his favorite podcasts was The Overwhelmed Brain, and I am honored. Thank you, Keith. You can find Keith and his show at supersmartguy.com. I'd also like to thank Nicole at The Fabulous and Creative Project. She said that one of her personal favorite podcasts is also The Overwhelmed Brain, amongst many others that are really great. So I am honored to be mentioned in that. Her website is NicoleToLand.com, and it's spelled just like it sounds, N-I-C-O-L-E-T-O-L-A-N-D.com. Thank you so much for mentioning the show, and I am so glad The Overwhelmed Brain is a personal favorite of yours. And if you have a website and you want to mention the show, let me know. Maybe I'll mention yours here, too. Anyway, today's quote is by Eleanor Roosevelt, and it's this. A woman is like a tea bag. You can't tell how strong she is until you put her in hot water. <laughs> well, it's an unusual quote, but I love it mainly for the fact that it goes right along with today's email, which I'll read in a moment. But you know what? You can change the word woman to anyone. Anyone is like a tea bag, and you can't tell how strong they are until they're in hot water. Have you ever had a moment in your life where things got so bad that you snapped? That you said, I can't take it anymore. And you went from maybe fearful to courageous and you didn't care what happened to you. I've seen this happen to the most passive, calm person where things just get so rough and their boundaries are so violated that they just snap. And snapping usually means one of two things. Anger and flipping out or calm assertiveness where you get something done. One of the reasons I love this quote is because we can all reach that calm assertiveness or anger. Either way, it gets us out of fear mode. 
It gets us out of survival mode and we become a creator. And what I mean by that is, for example, when my car broke down in Arizona, I was in fear mode. I was in anxiety mode and the anxiety built up and kept building and kept building until I snapped, until the worst case scenario happened and everything became real. And when it was real, I became calm. I became assertive and I knew exactly what I needed to do. I took action. My fear disappeared. I really believe there's a point that your mind and body uh, gets to that it can't take anymore. It's overflowing with uh, whatever's coming at it. It's just too much and it snaps. You snap. And at that point, the fear goes away. This is why I sometimes teach that the answer to anxiety is to feel more anxious than you've ever felt until it becomes true. Because when it becomes true, your fear goes away. There's nothing left to fear because it's there and you have to deal with it. It's this you have to deal with it mentality that will get you through some of the hardest situations in life. When I came home that day from back surgery after five days in the hospital and I had a a new metal rod in my back, I just arrived home after five days in the hospital and I looked up four flights of stairs. (laughs) And I just just thought, I'm not going to make this. There's no way I'm going to make it. I was full of fear because we did not practice stairs (laughs) in physical therapy right after my operation in the hospital. So I got home and seeing these stairs, it was crazy. I I was thinking I wasn't going to make it. But it was cold outside and it was starting to rain. And I knew if I didn't go up the stairs that I would end up back in the car or back in the hospital. And I knew I had to go home. I was home and it was time to get into the house. Four flights of stairs. I looked up and... uh, looked back down and I saw the first step and realized how real the situation was. No matter what I feared, I knew the situation was happening right now. There was nothing I could do. I had fear in me and just didn't think I was going to make it one step, let alone four flights. But something inside me snapped. Because that event materialized and there was no going back, I took the first step. And when that happened... I knew I could take the second step because if you can take the first one, you can take the second one. So I did. And I took each step in succession after that, one at a time, slowly, but assertively. And each little challenge, each little step was a step in the right direction and a success, which I could look back on and go, I made it. And yes, this is a metaphor for the things in your life. There's going to be a point where things get so rough that you think you can't handle it. You think you can't go on. But let it happen. Bring it on. Let the worst case scenario unfold before you so that you reach that snapping point and the fear goes away. And I'll say this. If you've never felt this, you're probably one of those people that carries anxiety around with you all the time. Because you never let it happen. I say let it happen. Let the worst happen. Develop a bring it on attitude and ask the universe what else you got. Eleanor Roosevelt says, a woman is like a tea bag. You can't tell how strong she is until you put her in hot water. You can't tell how strong you are 
until the going is so rough that you can't handle it anymore. When the water gets too hot, you're going to snap and you're going to get things done. So my suggestion as you start this new year is to say, bring it on. Bring the worst that you got so I can get through it. I can reach that snapping point and gain more momentum than I've ever had. No, it won't be fun. (laughs) None of the snapping points that I've reached in my life were fun, but they were powerful and they changed my course. I had a new direction to face. I had a new beacon to move towards. Don't be afraid to let that snapping point happen. Don't be afraid to allow the going to get rough and get rougher and get rougher. Because after you reach the snapping point, you never feel the same way again. And what you used to fear doesn't cause you to be afraid anymore. Sure, there may be aspects of it that cause you to be afraid, but for the most part, you've gotten over the big ones. You have this inside of you. And sometimes you can access it without reaching the snapping point. But it involves acceptance that the worst could happen. And a lot of us don't accept the worst. They try to fight it. They don't want it to happen and they put all their energy into resisting it. But if you can accept that the worst could happen, then maybe you can change direction too and start moving with momentum towards a future you can look forward to. Let's move on to our next segment called Ask Paul. Well, Asha with GetOutOfTheMess.com is back this week. She was sick for quite a few days, so she couldn't make the reading for her spot. But now she's back. And if you don't know Asha, she is an independent representative for Legal Shield, And she answers questions whether this legal insurance is right for you or not. So if you're facing a situation where you need an attorney or you need a letter from an attorney or you just need to talk to an attorney for any reason... The service that she represents is like $20 a month or less, and it's well worth it. If you've ever paid for an attorney, (laughs) you know what I mean. It's well worth it. But today I want to ask Asha, when people call her and ask about this legal insurance, at what point are they at in their situation? Are they contemplating getting an attorney or are they in a situation where it's an emergency and they need it right away? And if they call and need it right away, how fast does the service start working for them? Take it away, Asha. Well, as you know, it's human nature to not deal with change, not deal with conflict, not deal with upset. So most of the time, honestly, by the time people call me, they are not acting proactively. They are acting reactively because they've got some situation that may even feel like a dire crisis. So it's either been dragging on and on and they haven't had an attorney, they haven't had a resource, and they are finally just at the point where they've got to do something because they're about to break. Or they have something that is actively happening right now and you can hear the urgency in some of the people's voices like, I need this done and I need it done right away. This is a serious situation and I'm not sure what to do about it. So that's often when I get people. And in that case, the good news is that you don't even have to wait to receive your stuff in the mail. You can call as soon as you have your temporary ID. You can call the very next day and get help. So after someone signs up, they could potentially talk to an attorney the next day. Yeah. When you get your number and you finally make the call to ask for help, 
they have to call you back within six business hours. All right. Thank you for sharing that information, Asha. And thanks for joining us today once again. And let everyone know how they can reach you if they want to ask any more questions. Call Asha at 678-355-8777 or just email me at asha at getoutofthemess.com. You can also use the, there's a button on the Overwhelmed Brain page that says get out of the legal mess and that'll take you right there if you can't remember the URL. This next segment is called Ask Paul, and it's where I read a listener email on the air and do my best to uh, answer and help them through the challenges that they present to me. Here's someone I'm going to call Jill. I enjoy your podcast, and I listen to it on an almost daily basis every time I work out or get ready after the gym. I've been in the military for many years and have spent the last few teaching in a field for young men and women who've just finished basic training. It's a different world with how you must interact with them as students in that type of environment, as the goal is to break them down and then build them up as soldiers. Well, in the last year, I completed that assignment and then went back to working in another division of the military. Being an attractive single female in the field I'm in has made me a very strong person, but has also caused me to be a bit heartless and, quote, too strong, being somewhat of a dictator towards the people that serve under me. I have gone through and endured so much that I have a hard time understanding issues that I deem petty. I know I need to be understanding and more apathetic, but it's a real challenge doing so. I think you mean sympathetic, but (laughs) probably less apathetic. Do you have any advice to help me see others' opinions or problems in a more sympathetic way? Also, don't get me wrong, I'm one of the most compassionate people I know and care too much sometimes. I have even been an advocate for sexual assault victims for many years, but only for things that I find important, like rape discriminations and family, not what others deem important to them. This is causing me to look heartless in the eyes of my subordinates. Any advice? Great letter, Jill, and you are definitely in a situation that I can't relate to. (laughs) Well, actually I can. There's a story I want to tell you in a minute. Um, regarding what position you're in um, as far as being a woman in a what has been for years a male-dominated, I don't know what to call it, field, industry. But our military has been male-dominated for quite some time. And it wasn't too long ago before they started allowing women in, and especially in any type of leadership roles. Now, what you're experiencing is more common than some people may think. When you're an attractive female, you sometimes have to come across as more dominant simply because the stereotype, unfortunately, is still prevalent in many cultures. And that stereotype is, you know, men are the leaders and women are the followers, or they take care of the babies at home. Now, that's a very old, (laughs) very unprogressive way to look at things. But the stereotype does still exist. The people that were around in that Stone Age era of women staying home, doing all the cooking and cleaning and making babies, they're still around. 
they're still they're they're older but they're still around so that mentality gets passed on from generation to generation now there's nothing wrong with a woman who stays home and makes babies if that's what you want that's great and if you can do it that's great and for the men too the men can stay home and get the women's babies uh <laughs> or get the babies that women make and take care of them as well i'm not here to discuss the finer points on that but what I do look forward to is the continuing progression of the attitude of this type of culture, of this type of uh, stereotypes that we've placed on both men and women's roles over the years. And hopefully the military is weaning people off those stereotypes now that both men and women are being placed in positions of authority. But you know what? As long as there are raging hormones in boys and men, there will probably always be generations of alpha males wanting to be dominant. Now, the same goes for alpha females, too. Some people are born with that dominant gene and feel very comfortable being that way. And then some people are born as what some refer to as beta. Beta men and women are more passive and less dominant and sometimes easier to get along with. I refer to alpha and beta as masculine and feminine. You don't need to be a man to be masculine, and you don't need to be a woman to be feminine. You just usually develop and possess more of one aspect over another. People with masculine traits are usually more dominant. They're in leadership roles. They have more confidence. They're able to stand up for themselves easily, and they usually take action when needed. And people with feminine traits are usually more passive, perhaps even docile. They are helpful, and sometimes even more helpful to others than themselves, and they appreciate following a good leader. Now, there are many more traits to both aspects, but you get the idea. And you can have some of both. So it's not that you're one or the other. You just tend to have more of one aspect over another. Now, the challenge comes in when you have more of the feminine in you but are required to be more masculine, or vice versa. There's still no problem there. Anyone can pick up and develop these traits, but sometimes, during the development process, a feminine person, for example, may not know how to utilize masculine traits. A feminine person who wants to exude confidence can reach into that masculine place and pull it out. But what if he or she has no reference for confidence? What if it's not intrinsic and they need to create it for themselves? Then what? Some people are more confident naturally. But if you're not, you have to develop it inside of you. That's like when I was in high school. I didn't have any confidence until like 11th grade. But what changed is when I went from these tiny four-door sedans <laughs> that I would have to buy a new used one every year because the one I had would break down. When I finally got what I called a muscle car, my ego shot up and my confidence shot up and everything about me changed. My behavior, my attitude, my personality changed. And then I sold that car, but I kept the personality. Fortunately, I I dropped a lot of the ego, <laughs> but it did teach me to create and nurture a lot of the qualities I didn't have. 
or that were very, very weak inside of me. So what happens is there's a point where you can develop qualities that you need in a certain way, but you can get overzealous and you might even uh, over-exaggerate the quality. An example of that is another story of my past, which was in my marriage. When I first got married, I was afraid to honor my personal boundaries. I was afraid to stand up for myself. And I was worried about being assertive and asking for what I wanted merely because I was afraid of confrontation. I was worried that she might want to leave me if I'm not always nice or as long as I accommodate her all the time and I'm super helpful to her, she'll always love me. But what that was doing was poisoning me. It was burning me out. And it was also burning her out too because I didn't know that she wanted and a lot of people want someone who speaks up for themselves, who says what they want, who stands up and says, no, I don't like that. Instead of always just accommodating, being too helpful. So one day she said, I need you to tell me what you want. Don't dilly dally. (laughs) Don't dance around the issue. Be upfront. And so I did. I started doing that. And I was afraid because I didn't know what was going to happen. But the fir- I remember the first time I told her exactly what I wanted. She's like, there, that's what I want from you. And I was like, wow. So I started asking for more of what I wanted and more. And then suddenly I became almost an extremist. <laughs> I would want a lot more I felt this power come up inside of me. It's something I've never felt before. And that will happen. That will happen when you've never felt something before and you get a taste of it. You just want more and more and more of it. So like the pendulum of a clock, I was swung one way before all this started. And then after I started standing up for myself and asking for what I wanted and being more assertive, the pendulum swung the other way and I was over doing it. I was doing it way too much. So I had to find a nice balance in between the two, which I call the balance of the yin-yang or the masculine and feminine, and find that comfortable spot in between where I can still be a little bit of both as long as I wasn't compromising myself. So Jill, if you were a more calm, passive person, but were put in a position to be a leader, it is possible to to do that without becoming some sort of what people might call a (laughs) B-I-T-C-H. However, it's going to be challenging. It's like some of the female leaders that I've met in the corporate world. Some of them can be downright hard to deal with, and many are called a word that rhymes with rich. (laughs) However, most of them considered mean usually have really big hearts and are quite warm and friendly when you get to know them. They've just developed an extra hard exterior because as they adopted the leadership role, they had to become more and more assertive to the point of aggressive. This is not because they learned confidence and becoming the authority the wrong way. It's because there was no easy to follow path to create a more balanced personality. Some of the most abrasive women you've met have been wounded or hurt in some way and or some of them wanted to avoid getting hurt so they added extra layers of armor so that no one could hurt them. Now more attractive female leaders or any females 
in a male-dominated profession have it harder. Because not only are they feeling the prying eyes of many men, and some women of course, but some of those people that are staring them down may actually be a threat. I won't lie, women have to be more aware than men because there are men in this world that are dangerous. Some men turn their raging hormones into acts of aggression and even violence towards women. But you know what? Women know this. And if you're an attractive woman walking into a room full of guys, you're going to get stared at. It's just nature, unfortunately. I'm not saying it's right. And I'm not talking about how men should hold their composure and act mature. I hate to admit this, but many men, including myself, will find certain women attractive and want to look longer than a millisecond. Now, yes, I can control myself and stop looking, but I can't deny that something is happening inside of my body. And if you can hear my voice right now, you have experienced this at least once in your life. Some body walks into the room and you experience something inside your body. It's almost like playing a certain note on an instrument that will make a guitar string vibrate. When those two notes resonate at the same frequency, something happens inside your body. And I attribute that to pure animal instinct. I mean, think about it. Before humans learned to communicate verbally, we talked by looking at each other and making eye contact. We figured out if we were attracted to another person by doing this. We looked at their body, we smelled them, we touched them. All the signals that added up to attraction or not attraction. Then over the generations, we learned verbal language, and that really added some complexity into the mix. (laughs) Of course, it also cleared up a lot of miscommunication, too. The problem is, our spoken language isn't usually what first attracts or distracts us. It's the look and smell and feel of the other person. And we haven't lost this ability. It's hardwired into us. Most heterosexual men, when you put an attractive woman in the room, will look at the woman. (laughs) Some of the men are very discreet and respectful. Others stare and keep staring and have no problem being noticed when they're caught. Try this next time you're in a room. Women probably already know this, but many guys are usually too busy to notice what other guys do. I love doing this. Next time you see an attractive woman, notice what the guys in the room are doing. Do some have that predatory stare like a lion moving toward a zebra? (laughs) And do others notice the woman, enjoy the view, but then look away? You're going to get all kinds of responses, but it's good to understand that that's what guys are doing because it makes you reflect on what you do when an attractive person walks into the room. Many women don't do this, but some do. But most guys will have some sort of response to an attractive woman. It's a neat exercise, actually, and it gives you a clue to what some attractive women go through. In fact, I have an embarrassing story. Well, it's not that embarrassing, but it's kind of revealing (laughs) to me. It leaves me a little vulnerable because I've been in a similar situation. I walked into an ice cream store in Florida once, and there were two gay men sitting side by side at the counter, and they were staring at me. 
they they weren't just staring at me they were staring at me and i have no problem with their sexuality but at that moment i felt uncomfortable and at that moment i realized what a woman must have to go through if a woman walks into a room with a lot of guys in it and they're all staring like the hungry lion stares at a zebra that's a weird feeling now i suppose if i was gay it might be different but i wasn't looking for that yet it was entering my space anyway and i think that's what a lot of women go through they're not looking to be looked at yet it happens so that's my little taste of what it might feel like to be an attractive woman going into a room full of guys and experiencing that now what's the point of all this well for you jill it's a matter of aligning with who you really are inside without compromising who you need to be at work if you're generally passive kind and helpful in the real world but at work you have to be assertive and quote fit in with the guys and you're really not sure how to do that what's going to happen is that you're going to develop characteristics that aren't in line with who you really are and what this does is causes you to be uncomfortable in your own skin and that discomfort will spread out to others they will sense something about you that's not quite right and many times you'll feel like you have to compensate for that thinking as if they see you as weak and maybe that you'll be less effective at your job and not as hard a worker as every other member of the team and because you may not be aligned with who you really are inside you could come across as angry or just cold-hearted but here's the thing i know your heart is big i can tell because you're asking these questions you want to enjoy what you do and be accepted without appearing as mean or insensitive so let me give you the first thing to work on first figure out what's most important for you in both work and life figure out your bigger picture your bigger vision the beacon that you move towards every day for example if at work it's most important for you to keep all the equipment maintained so that people will be safe using it then that is your driving force behind every decision so whenever a subordinate slacks off and you believe the functionality of the equipment is being compromised that is how you approach the person you approach them with the equipment in mind and don't take it personally so instead of saying things like what are you doing why aren't you doing your job which sounds like you are upset just switch the subject of your question to be about the equipment instead for example double check those gears and make sure they don't stick when they do a full rotation that's a lot less confrontational than if you don't double check those gears your job is on the line <laughs> this is where you say things but imply discipline but don't speak about the discipline does that make sense you just say i need you to double check those gears not i need you to double check those gears or you'll make me angry because one places the emphasis on the equipment and the other places the emphasis on you 
Now, let me give you a little story behind that to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. What we do in life is that we associate our emotional state with what's happening in the moment. So, for example, I read this story once where a supervisor took an employee into the conference room and had to discipline the employee for being tardy multiple times. And so the supervisor just asked, you know, you've been tardy for a few days now. And the employee is like, yeah, I had things to do or my car broke down or whatever excuses the employee came up with. But instead of the supervisor saying, you know, if you keep doing this, I'm going to fire you. The supervisor decided to take it a different route and had a piece of paper with her. And she said, look, here's our company policy. And company policy states that you cannot be tardy more than three days in a month. And the employee has to now fight the policy instead of the person, or at least have an attitude towards the policy and not the person. I hope that's a little bit more clear of where I'm going with this. That way, when, you know, if this person does end up getting terminated or quit on their own, then the supervisor is still off the hook because that employee didn't follow policy. Now, the employee may still blame the supervisor for what happened because people who tend to mess up a lot look for someone else to blame. Sorry to say <laughs> that's what that's usually how it goes. They mess up a lot and they look for someone else to blame because they're not taking control of their own life. But, you know, things happen and legitimate reasons why things happen. But back to this point where if you can direct the energy of a conversation on policy, on what needs to be done in order for the job to get done right and for people to have the most safety and for them to reach the results they need to reach for their position. You want any ill feelings to be directed to policy, to equipment, to rules, and not you as a person. So do your best to approach things in a way where you don't say, I am going to do this to you if you don't get it done. Instead, say, the job requires you to do this. If you're not able to fulfill the position of the job, then someone else may have to fill that position. It's sort of passive, but it gets you out of the energy of ill will. Now, you may already be doing this. I'm not saying that you aren't, but it's a good idea to keep in mind that when you have to discipline someone, never make it about your feelings, your emotions, uh, how it's going to stress you out, how it's going to make your job harder. Don't focus on that stuff. Focus on the requirements of the job. And this works with anyone you know, whether you're at work or you're with friends or whatever situation you're in, if there's bad news or something that you know will upset someone, try to keep the focus on what's upsetting them and not how it affects you as a person. And hopefully that will keep their energy and their focus off of you and on the specific subject matter at hand. Now, another thing is to develop a philosophy that I like to use or I I like to believe in. Not that it's necessarily absolutely true, but I use this philosophy with almost everyone I know because when I believe in this philosophy, and I'm going to tell you in a second what it is, (laughs) when I believe in the following philosophy, it makes my life easier and it helps me talk to people differently. It helps me talk to people in a more understanding way, more sensitive way. That philosophy is this. Always know that everyone is doing the best they can 
with what they have. If you see someone slacking off and you look at them and you're going, wow, what a loser. He's pathetic or she's pathetic. They need to straighten up their life. Remember, they got to that position in life through a series of events that happened to them way before you saw them that day. This isn't the first time they were slacking off. They were slacking off probably a long time ago. Or they just really hate their job and they don't want to work there anymore. But (laughs) either way, their attitude was developed over years. And who gave them that attitude? Well, when they were children, the attitude came from their parents or from their caretakers or from the adults or other kids in their life even. We are always influenced all the time. So when we're growing up, if we're in any type of dysfunctional environment or neglectful environment or anything that doesn't benefit us in some way, then we start getting a lack of resources. We start going into the the teenage world and the adult world with a lack of resources. So when you adopt the philosophy that everybody is doing the best they can with the resources they have and the situations in life that they've experienced and the people that brought them up that gave them the tools to handle life, then you start to understand why they are the way they are. And when you approach someone who you know is doing the best they can, even though it appears that they have the resources they need, they don't know how to utilize the resources or they don't have the motivation or the strength or the courage or any of the, a number of things that we've all experienced at one point in our life. And when you have this in the back of your mind, Then when you talk to people that have what they believe to be important matters in their life, but you don't see it as important, remember where they're at. And I think you already know this too, because this is probably something that you've been trying to understand in yourself. Where they are is definitely not where you are. Their experience in life has not been your experience. That's common sense. I know you already know that. But when you see them as doing the best they can and they're still not there yet, they're still not where they want to be, it gives you a different perspective. And then maybe some of your compassion will come out automatically. And I've got to recite another story because (laughs) I know this segment is full of stories, but it's so appropriate. When I was married, my wife and I lived next to this woman who consistently complained that we had noise going on in our apartment she go. she would knock on our door and she'd say could you please stop the noise and we'd be like huh <laughs> what noise are you referring to because we'd both be sitting at our computer or reading or whatever and she goes there's just a low humming that's going on and i was thinking huh okay well i'll look around the apartment and figure out what it is i was thinking maybe there was a computer sitting against her bedroom wall or maybe our refrigerator was you know, vibrating against the walls in the house. Something. It made sense what she was saying. Maybe there's something humming or some sort of vibration going on. So we looked and looked and we couldn't find anything. So we figured it was a passing thing. Maybe she heard it once and it was driving her crazy and it it wasn't going to appear again. But sure enough, a few days later, she looked a little more frazzled. And she said, could you please... The noise is driving me crazy. Could you please stop it? I'm like, I'm not sure what you're talking about, but all right, we'll do our best to find it, to isolate it. We'll we'll do a thorough search. We've looked, but we'll look again. She goes, oh, thank you so much. So we actually 
uh, figured out where her bedroom wall wall was, and we moved almost every electronic device out of that room. We moved it all away from the walls, and we really shifted that whole room around. And of course, we're putting our hand on the wall, trying to feel for vibrations or any type of low hum, and we couldn't hear it. We couldn't feel it. <laughs> and we weren't sure what she was talking about. So we're thinking, okay, maybe there's a train going by in the distance and she thinks it's coming from us. Maybe there's some sort of vibration on the road. We have no clue. Sure enough, a few days later, she knocks on the door again. And this time she is clearly upset. Please, you must stop that noise. I feel like I'm going crazy. (laughs) I'm like, okay, that's it. Let me, I mean, I didn't lose it. This wasn't my snapping point yet. (laughs) I said, let me go with you into your apartment and let's see if I can hear this noise. And so I followed her up to her bedroom where she hears it most. And I'm standing there and she goes, well, it's not happening now, but it always happens. I'm like, oh boy. (laughs) So I moved her bed uh, away from the wall, thinking that maybe something's vibrating the house and it's vibrating through her uh, bed frame and she's feeling it. Moved that away, felt the walls. I listened. I think my wife was with me at the time. We both listened and we could hear nothing. And she's like, well, thanks for coming up and I'll let you know when it happens again. I was like, yeah, please do. I'll, I'll be happy to fix this problem if we can find it. So I left and... By this time, my wife and I are going, I wonder if she's a little crazy. (laughs) And then I was thinking, oh, maybe there's a physical cause for this. Maybe she's got like blood rushing through her head and it creates a low hum or something. I was just thinking of anything that might explain what she's going through. So, I don't know, what was it, the fifth time now? Get the knock on the door. And this time she's like, I can't stand it. You've got to get rid of this noise. And we invited her in saying, please tell us where it is. Go around the house with us and tell us where it is. And of course, she couldn't find it. We couldn't find it. She couldn't find it. And we were trying to accommodate her as much as possible. And she left again, not knowing what the source of the noise was. So what? uh, Seven times now? The seventh time... (laughs) (laughs) she knocks on the door Um, I don't know how many days or weeks later it was and at that time I wasn't home my wife answered it and my wife snapped she said we have done everything you have asked we have been in your house you have been in our house we have no noise I can't figure out what you want we don't know what's going on but the noise is not coming from our house and I wish I was there to see the woman's face because she was stunned She didn't know what to say. I think she realized my wife was probably right. And my wife calmed down. And I don't know the rest of the story from there. I can't remember. But they both parted. And she went home. And my wife stayed home. And when I got home, my wife told me the story. And I was like, what? (laughs) You you snapped and yelled at her? She goes, yes, she drives me crazy. She gets me angry. And, And I'm reaching the point of this story, which is this. I said, okay, why does she get you so angry? You know, I was getting a little bit irritated, but I wasn't getting angry. But I asked her, why does she get you so angry? She goes, because she's so stupid. (laughs) She thinks the noise is coming from our house, but it's not. We already proved it. And the noise isn't coming from her house because we were in there. I don't know why. She's just, I don't know. She just drives me crazy. 
And we talked a little bit more about it. So I decided to put a scenario in my wife's brain and ask if she'd be just as angry if the woman that kept knocking on our door was mentally challenged. And she paused and she thought about this. And she goes, no, I'd I'd feel bad for her. I was like, can you just picture her as mentally challenged the next time you talk with her? She goes, well, I think I can. I said, I don't think she is mentally challenged. I think there's something else going on. I think it's a physical thing in her head or, or maybe it's something that we can't hear. It's like a really low frequency. But if you can see her as mentally challenged, maybe you can get along with her and just appease her. Or if not appease her, at least be kind to our neighbor that we have to live with <laughs> or live next to for the next year or two. She goes, yeah, I think I can do that. That that makes me feel a lot better, in fact. I was like, great. That'll make me feel better, too. That way there's no friction or tension. And we'll just pretend she has a mental issue and that she is incapable of forming more rational, logical conclusions. My wife agreed. And that's the point of my story here. When you can look at someone as not having the capability to come to their own common sense or logical, reasonable conclusions on things and maybe even see them, and I hate to say this, (laughs) as less intelligent, but not by their own doing, just by being a product of their environment, then maybe some compassion can come out. Or maybe not less intelligent, but how about this? How about they've had less opportunity than you. And if seeing them as perhaps mentally challenged, and I mean nothing against mentally challenged people, I just mean it in the way that they're not able to come up with solutions. They're not able to synergize in a team as well as some other team members because of some mental state they're in. Then if you can view them as not having the same opportunity to develop the right mental skills to be productive, to be independent, to do the right thing, then maybe some of that compassion can come out. This isn't looking down on anyone. It's actually being more compassionate for what they never had the opportunity to experience in their life. It's just like when you meet someone who hates their job. God, I hate my job. Every time I go in, I have to answer phones all day long. And then you meet someone who had their body burned in a fire and they love their job and they go, you know, my job's hard, but 30% of my body was burned and I could have died. So I'm so grateful to be alive and have a job and be able to make money. You look at those two scenarios, the person who didn't get burned in a fire definitely hasn't had the experience of the person who did. So their perspectives are going to be completely different. Anyone who suffers more is going to have a deeper perspective and a deeper appreciation for the small things in life or for the big things in life even. Not not all of us. I mean, even if you haven't suffered greatly, you can still have a lot of appreciation. But I found that most people who've done a lot of suffering, have gone through a lot of pain, usually have a deeper appreciation for the a lot of the things that we take advantage of. And it's not it's not anyone's fault. It's not the non-sufferer's fault. 
They just don't know the extent of what suffering can be. One person's idea of a bad day is answering phones all day, while the other person's idea of a bad day is chasing criminals down in a cop car and avoiding gunfire. And you can't blame either one for not understanding the perspective of the other. So, Jill, with that perspective, knowing that you'll never be able to understand the history of another person and what they deem as important to them, remember that, and again, you probably know this, the deepest, darkest pain they've felt in their life is like the deepest, darkest pain someone else felt, even though the other person might have had a lot more pain and a lot more suffering. It's just that they've never reached that level to understand how deep the pain can get, how deep the suffering can get. So I don't know if that helps you develop more conscientiousness when it comes to you know, working with people and what they deem to be, what you deem to be petty problems. Those petty problems could be their deepest, darkest pain, even though it's not deep or dark to you. So if you start handling the situation as if they were telling you the worst possible thing that could ever happen to anyone, and in their world it it was probably, maybe your heart can open up a little bit more. I know you have a big heart, and I know you've heard story after story after story, and that's what jades us. We start hearing so many horrible suffering stories that when we come across one that's a lot lighter and not so hard to deal with, we think, you have it easy. What are you thinking? You have it so easy. That's when the attitude comes out. But remember, the person who has it easy never knew how hard it could get. And that's how hard it is for them now. So that's an overall philosophy that I like to to wear, that I like to adopt, is that when you work with other people, know that they are expressing their pains from their experience and doing the best they can with what they have. I hope this helps you, Jill. Thank you so much for what you do. Thanks for serving our country. And thanks for being an advocate for sexual assault victims. Um, I have someone very close to me, or actually, I know several people, unfortunately, very close to me, that are definitely in that category. So thank you again for writing, and I wish you the best with that. And just to end the story of that woman that kept knocking on our door, The last time she finally knocked on our door, she brought us a houseplant and apologized for everything that she put us through. (laughs) She goes, I remember she said, you know what? I still hear the noise, but I am so sorry for putting you through this. And, uh, you know, my wife graciously accepted it. And from that point on, we got along and I even went back into her house again to figure out what else I could do for her. But at the same time told her, you know, I don't know what's going on. You're welcome to come over anytime if you hear it, and we'll be happy to uh, let you roam the house and figure out what it is. And from that point on, we never heard back from her, and uh, we eventually moved out, and that never happened again. But it was a nice way to close (laughs) that loop in our life and move on from the situation. And wow, look at the time. We got to (laughs) go. Let's transition out of here and end the show shortly, but stick around for my final words.
All right, the new year is here, and you might have made a resolution to maybe listen to more self-help podcasts or do other things to improve yourself in some way. Well, I want to let you know that I am happy to talk with you regarding any challenges that you have going on in your life. I'm known as a personal empowerment coach, which means I make it my mission to get you from a feeling of lack or no power. To a place of personal empowerment, where you're making decisions that are right for you, you're taking action on what you want for your life, instead of continuing to just deal with the same results over and over again. How are things going for you? Are they great, or could they be better? Consider coaching with me. I'll give you my full attention and help you get to a place of empowerment. Some of my clients have gotten through some really hard stuff. Sure, they may have gotten the results without me. After all, they listen to this show. <laughs> But what I hear over and over again is something like this: "I just want to get over this. I'm sick of year after year passing by, and I'm still the same as I was." I get this. Year after year can pass by, and. Sometimes you keep lugging around the same emotional baggage that's causing that unhappiness. One of my clients recently told me that their marriage is coming back together after surviving an affair. I won't get any more detailed than that for privacy reasons, but this warmed my heart to no end. Now they have the tools they need to move forward and continue working on their own. <laughs> yes, I lose many clients that way. <laughs> they get through the hard stuff. And then they have new resources from which to work. Remember what I said earlier: we do the best we can with the resources we have. So if you don't have the resources or you don't know how to use them, then it's a lot harder to get through the struggles. Of course, many of my clients have been long-term just to maintain their forward momentum. They don't want to stop because they appreciate not only the accountability but the one-on-one -on -one support. So whether you just need a session or two to get your groove back, or you'd like to create a maintenance plan for yourself, consider coaching with me. Head over to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and click on Coach with Paul, and let me give you a secret discount code. If you've never coached with me, this discount code is for you. It's good for up to four sessions. The word is Brain Snacks. So if you want to try out this coaching thing. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and click on Coach with Paul, and make sure you put that secret code word in your comments, and spread the word to other people. That code is good for any new client up to four sessions. You don't have to buy four sessions to use the code, but it's good to use up to、uh, four sessions if you want to. So I'm looking forward to talking with you soon. And we are at the end of the show, so stick around for a moment. I'm going to go through some thank yous and close the show with. My final words. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank Asha with GetOutOfTheMess.com. You can move forward alone and hope things go well, or you can pay less. Than a dollar a day to get a team of attorneys to get you through almost any situation. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, 
visit getoutofthemess.com or call 678-355-8777 and talk with Asha today. I want to thank you if you've purchased a book or a worksheet or use the Amazon link to shop as you normally would, which gives us pennies for every dollar you spend. Your contributions and shopping habits are making a difference. So thank you. And thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in today's episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. All right, to close the show, I want to mention something that we talked about today, which is our sensitivities or insensitivities to other people's challenges. You know, it reminds me of that uh, lawsuit where this lady sued McDonald's for them serving her coffee that spilled on her lap. And I don't know how much she got. It was probably several million. And, uh, you know, the general vibe around that was, what are you doing? You spilled coffee in your own lap and now you're suing McDonald's for it? Are you crazy? Are you (laughs) some other word? And, uh, you know, I was kind of caught up in that vibe too. I was like, how can you get away with that? Isn't that a frivolous lawsuit that really can't go anywhere? How can anyone win that lawsuit? Can I go to a restaurant and spill what they serve me and then make money off of it? It just sounded very scammy to me. So I got caught up in the vibe and I became insensitive. And I think a lot of us did. And maybe some of us still are about that. But, you know, when I saw that news story, I was like, oh, come on, this is ridiculous. And I held that attitude for many years until I actually looked up the story to find out more details because it came up in a conversation and we were all going, oh yeah, that's ridiculous. Remember that lady who sued McDonald's? (laughs) So I looked it up because I wanted to find out the facts and I found out that uh, she was a 79-year-old woman who suffered third-degree burns in her pelvic area and was hospitalized for eight days while she underwent skin grafting. And this followed up with two years of medical treatment. Thank you, Wikipedia, for that. (laughs) What's even more interesting in that case is that uh, Liebig, I think that's her name, was the person who spilled the coffee on herself. You know, she is responsible for what she did was put the coffee in between her knees and lift the lid off because she wanted to put cream and sugar in it, and she spilled the entire cup on herself. It appears that she wanted to take some responsibility for this because she wasn't going after an excessive amount of money from them. She was going after her medical expenses. She did believe that they should be responsible for having the coffee way too hot, so hot that it actually burned her. And we can argue over the details about this case all day long, but what I really want to pinpoint here is that she wanted to settle with McDonald's for $20,000 to cover her actual and anticipated expenses. She already paid 10000 for her other medical expenses, and now she had another 20000 or so coming up. And McDonald's said, no, we'll offer you $800. And so McDonald's refused to negotiate and stuck with their offer. And at that point, you know, the attorneys got involved and said, well, <laughs> you're going to pay. And they certainly did. They, they went back and forth. They came up with a, a much larger amount, and she got paid. And the point of my story is that we don't know the extent of someone's suffering until we know the whole story. 
and sometimes someone's suffering isn't as intense as they describe it because either we know of other people that are suffering worse or we've suffered more ourselves. I talk about my suffering on this show probably more times than you care to hear. <laughs> but, you know, it shows that I can relate in some way to any suffering that you went through and I cannot relate in other ways to some of the suffering that I've I've been privy to. I've been told by in private by some people who just uh, have gone through the ringer and we're talking some serious serious uh, damage in their childhood and even when they grew up as adults so I always get both perspectives I always get the deepest most painful suffering stories and then I get others that just seem like this lawsuit seemed to me at first frivolous and so do I treat the frivolous as frivolous as trivial or do I treat it as if that was really painful suffering for that person and you know of course depending on how they present it to me I'm going to see their perspective and understand where they're coming from and basically try it on try it on from their viewpoint and that gives me a better idea what they're going through when I talk with them It's a great way to step out of yourself and step out of your perspective of what suffering really is and just opens your mind a little bit and makes you a little bit more compassionate so that you can be there for people that really might be going through a tough time, at least in their experience. So now I want you to step back into yourself with that open mind and step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.